Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Sega Talk. Uh, with me is Barry. Hello. Um, we're going to be talking about Fantasy Star that came out on the Sega Master System. So we're talking about the first game that came out on December 20th, 1987. Wow. Which is uh, a few weeks ago. <laughs> a little, a lot of weeks ago. Yeah. But uh, this is the first actually Master System game we talked about. Uh, I think the Master System is probably Sega's least popular console, home console. And there's probably a lot of reasons for it, which we're not going to get into in this episode, but Fantasy Star started the whole Fantasy Star series. They went on and went to online, and now we have uh, Fantasy Star Online 2, but what was your... Oh, we do? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> well, we don't. Japan has it, though. Yeah. But uh, what's your history with the first Fantasy Star game, Barry? Well, people are going to turn off this podcast immediately as I admit that I did not play the original Fantasy Star for many, many years. Um, and mainly, like you said, you know, the, the Sega Master System was not big in America. Like, the Sega Genesis, for a lot of kids, they thought that was the first Sega console in America. You know? Yeah, um, it was It was called Sega Genesis because it was rebranding Sega as a company in America. So exactly. it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And so... I was aware of the um, the RPGs on the Genesis. I was not an RPG kid growing up, though. I just I always looked at those and thought, oh, those are adult games, you know. Um, and so, really, the the first RPG I've ever played is actually um, the one that Yu Suzuki played a minor role in. I'm blanking on the name right now, but it was on the Genesis. Sort of Vermilion or something That's like that? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I played it, and I was like, oh, this is all right. It's kind of a boring game, to be honest. But... Um, but yeah, fast forward to uh, Fantasy Star Online, and I just, I love that game. It's one of my favorite Sega games. Um, it, it pains me that you can't recreate those experiences of playing it online without d- jumping through a lot of hoops, and even then the, the community's not huge. But um, I had a friend, and we played online a lot, and he was a big Fantasy Star fan, and so he got me into the uh, the Genesis originals, so I, I revisited them. I didn't play through any of them, but I played, you know, I, I sampled them. I'm a RPG sampler. I'll play like three or four hours, and if it hooks me, I'll finish it. Um, but more often than not, I just, uh, just sample it. So really, I, I mean, uh, long story short, I did not play the original Fantasy Star until I got the Sonic Ultimate Genesis Collection, in which it was a... Uh, uh, a bonus game in that and that was for the uh, Xbox 360 yeah and uh, I mean I don't blame you I think RPGs are very hard genre to get into you have to invest a lot of hours of your day in and especially during the 8-bit era where these kind of games weren't as polished I feel like the JRPG games really benefit from new technology like even though at its core, Fantasy Star is like a sci-fi game, it still has some stuff where you're like, hey, that's kind of like Mass Effect, only in an 8-bit version of it. Because right. you, you could travel planets and stuff just like Mass Effect. I mean, it's not real-time combat. This one's turn-based. But, yeah, I didn't play it until later, just like you. I played the ones on the Sega Genesis first, and then 
I finally, when I when I got older, I got a uh, Sega Master System. I didn't grow up with a Sega Master System. I grew up with a NES, like a lot of people in America. So yeah, but I really, really like a lot of aspects of this game. I really like the art style, the music, and uh, the gameplay. And some of the dialogue is not all there. I do like that they try to pioneer and make these like a woman protagonist, which and it was sci-fi, fantasy mix. It was uh, a lot more interesting than Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest, which they seem kind of the same when Final Fantasy came out. They were both trying to be fa uh, like medieval fantasy. This mm -hmm. is uh, totally different and going a different direction. So kind of shows you what kind of developer Sega had, uh, you know, back then. Right, of course. It's it's interesting to note, too, that, you know, like, like we were saying, the Sega Master System, it wasn't that popular, but when you look at Fantasy Star, Fantasy Star is really the game on the Master System that stands out, just because I, I feel like a lot of franchises died on the Master System. You know, like Alex Kidd, he, he limped on for a Genesis game, and that was it. But Fantasy Star, it started on the Master System, and look where we are now with the series. Yeah, I think this Master System kind of relied a lot on uh, having the arcade ports. And those arcade ports are known for their Master I mean, their Master System versions. They're known for their arcade versions because those are the best ones. And this Fantasy Star was built for the Master System. And I think it did a good job pushing... I mean, showing you what the Master System could do if you had a dedicated team around it. I mean, those 3D dungeons... They're crazy. They, you know, Nintendo can't do that, and we're going to talk about that later in the podcast with some quotes. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah, it's a great game. I think it's probably one of the nicest looking uh, games on the on the Master System. I really like the animations. It's a little dark compared to what they did later on in the other series. Like I, I remember running into like these random encounters with, and there's like a zombie, but it's like its jaws falling off. And they don't really use that kind, those kind of characters anymore, especially in the online series. Right, I think they kind yeah. of made it a more neon glowy, different type of anime style for sure. Of course, yeah. So to get into a little history of the game, it was co-created, and forgive me for any mispronunciation here, by Kotaro Hayashida, who uh, worked as a designer on Alex Kidd, and Miki Morimoto, who later worked on the first, uh, how, how do you say these? I always call them Yiz, but I think it's Y-S, isn't it? Uh, yeah, like Is Eyes. Is Eyes, Y-S game. Like yeah, yeah, and um, Fancy Star uh, also had now legendary Sega designer Reiko Kodama working on the characters, and um, and it also had Sonic the Hedgehog uh, Hall of Famer Yuji Naka as a programmer. The story was written by um, Cheiko Aoki, Aoki uh, who was really who really worked on the first three games at Sega and then the um, and the Fancy Star development team it was really quite rare in the fact that they had so many uh, female staff members female talent um, behind the creation of the games and it kind and, of shows you why there's probably a female protagonist in the game I mean it was written by a woman and she probably thought it was the easiest way to write a game through, I guess, a woman's perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, we, we talk about this a lot. Sega's, I, I, I feel like we talk about it a lot, but I don't feel the, the industry talks about it a lot, just how how much of a, a champion for female characters Sega has been and is, really. Yeah, and I think a lot of people say, oh, women should be in gaming. I think 
there has been a lot of women in gaming in the past, especially, oddly enough, in the Japanese scene. I think a lot of people see the Japanese uh, video game scene and they think, oh, scantily clad women, uh, it's more aimed at boys, and uh, they're sex. I guess some sort of people think they're sexist, but it's um, it's interesting because Sega was not that sort of company, especially this game. I think uh, the lead character, uh, she wasn't in a bikini. She mm -hmm. wasn't like, you know what I mean? When you play these games now, that's like, oh, wait, why is this girl having this kind of armor on? It makes no sense. Right, she, of course. She, she did have a skirt on and stuff like that, but I think she she didn't look, you know, provocative or anything like that. No, not at all. And, um, but yeah, so, uh, it also came out a couple of days after Final Fantasy. So a lot of people say this is a, it's kind of like a, in a couple of years, you know, 1986, Dragon Quest came out. And then in 1987, right. uh, every all the copycats started coming out, I guess you would say, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy and uh, Fantasy Star. But I think Final Fantasy was more of a copy of what Dragon Quest did. And uh, Sega's was trying to be like, all right, let's see what we could do differently so we could sell this product. Because like Final Fantasy is also medieval, like I said before. And this one is sci-fi slash fantasy. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. What's your <laughs> thoughts of the game being sci-fi based? I think that it being a sci-fi game just makes sense when you look at what Sega was releasing before and at the time. You know, you had games like Zillion, you had games like Space Harrier, and they were all very kind of sci-fi fantasy. And I think it also probably played into um, anime that was popular at the time. So... It's, I mean, it's. it just seems like something Sega would have done regardless. And as far as the fantasy acts, or the, um, you know, more of the Final Fantasy kind of feel, that's more like Golden Axe and stuff like that where they're they're just clearly more fantasy-based. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, I really love the way they use the colors in the game too. Like, uh, like the costume colors and stuff. It's like purples, but they're like kind of pale colors. I mean... I don't even know what to describe it, but I, they look great. I think the art design in the game is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, they definitely weren't there yet in terms of that fantasy star feel. Playing the first game, it really, to me, it feels more like they they took a fantasy setting, added some um, 80s anime aesthetics, and even kind of stole the Stormtrooper armor for some characters. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, um, but I, I really feel that the... The games really didn't become their own until the later entries, but it's still very interesting to see how Fantasy Star started. And you do, you do see some signs of um, things that influenced later uh, games, especially. So one thing about the game, a lot of people say, I mean, this wasn't in the notes, but I'd like to discuss this. A lot of people say that these games are kind of hard to get into because of how random they are. Like... They don't really handhold you, right? They just go mm -hmm. like, oh, you're in this world, figure it out. And you have to talk to people and try to put one and two together. And a lot of people just give up on this game. They're like, oh, forget it. Too hard. Yeah. They get lost in the dungeons. Too hard. I'm not going to deal with it. Uh, what's your thoughts about that kind of curb in this game? I mean, I, I, I do kind of agree with that because I, I did dive back into the game this week to prepare for this. And I was playing it, and at first I just went in blind to see what it would be like just to, to play it as though I was a kid. Because to be honest, my RPG skills really haven't improved since uh, the early 90s. And so immediately I walk out, and I go into the forest, and I get killed. 
<laughs> you know, it's like, oh. And so I, I tried it again. I walked out in the forest. I fought someone. I won. I fought someone else. I got killed. So I did it again and again and again. And then I finally realized I had to go out in the forest, fight maybe one or two battles, run away from anyone who was stronger than me. And then I had to go back in, get a free, um, you know, tune-up or whatever, stay at the hotel, go back out. And I did that probably for about 20 minutes before I felt comfortable enough to like go out on my own for an extended period of time. And, and another thing that people say too, and, and I, I agree with you by the way, I'm just saying uh, the items in the game, they were they had their own name, so you're like, wait, what item is this? What does this do? Right, it's not just yeah. health, uh, spirit, or whatever. It, it, it They had their own name and like in this world, but it wasn't really explained, I guess, unless you looked at the manual and you know, a lot of people these days, they play games on ROMs, so they don't have the luxury of looking at a manual. Right, yeah, I mean, there were some things, like, I didn't know how to light a cave. Um, there's a shopkeeper who sells secrets, and you're like, oh, what's that? And I was thinking, well, I don't need to buy the secrets because I'll just look up in a um, frequently asked questions, you know, because I thought he would maybe give a tip. Yeah. But... But it turns out, and I'm even, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this later, I have the Sega Newsletter, issue 4 from 1988 here, and they say, can't get the shopkeeper at Skyon to tell you secrets? Try again. The game rewards persistence. So basically, you had to ask this guy to sell you the item three times. But if I was just playing this game without that tip, I would have gone up to him and he said, I'm not selling secrets, and I'd go, oh, okay. <laughs> you <And> know? <laughs> yeah, and this game did suffer from that those kind of design issues where... It wasn't really hand-holding you, and to the point where they just assumed that you would just do something like that, like continue talking to an NPC character. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of weird. I think that kind of uh, had people not play it. I think that's that was a problem with a lot of early JRPGs. Even Dragon Quest had that. I remember playing, I think, Dragon Quest three or something, and there's this part where you had to do something like so precise. I forgot what it was at this point, but you had to do something really precise to move on. If not, you're just stuck in this one area for like... Ever, yeah. So, uh, yeah, th this game has a, shares the same flaws as other JRPGs do. So, we're not saying that it's a perfect game, but you know, we're talking about it, right? But I would say though, going back to you know the the when I was playing it actually earlier today, what really kind of turned me to the other side and made me love this game was the moment that you know I figured that out. I got that. Um, I, the secrets basically gave me a pass to get to the um, like the landing platform. And I was on a ship. And this was like in the first 30, 40 minutes of playing, maybe less. And that surprised me, because I thought this was maybe one of those games where it's like, you start off on the world, you're not going to get on a, a spaceship and fly to another planet for another hour or two, you know, or another four hours. Yeah. But I was just like, I was just, I was kind of astounded by the fact... Not just that they were letting me fly to another planet so early in the game, but the fact that the game was able to do that. Like, I hopped in a ship, I flew off the map, it had this little cool scene where you're flying to the other planet, and I've never experienced that in a Master System game before. Yeah, and it's, uh, it tried to, I think they said that in, the, in an interview that I read. They are saying that, like, they wanted people to feel like they were moving on a lot, don't feel like yeah. they're stuck. And I guess it makes sense with the game, which exploring aspects i mean if you have three planets to explore you want to explore them right away so i'm glad that they kind of did that and i mm. think one of the things that i liked about fantasy star when i first played it a long time ago when i had all the time in the world to play games was that uh when you 
explore, I don't know, it kind of felt like you were really exploring, even though it was 8 bits and it was a little primitive. It, it did capture that whole exploring and moving on, like you said, traveling to other planets. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like to get there was a little bit of a hassle. <laughs> yeah, and of course there are those those typical things you'll run into in any early RPGs, like how you have to walk all the way to the hotel just to, you know, get healed again. I think the one thing that annoyed me throughout the game was the fact that every time you beat an enemy, it says, they have dropped a treasure chest. You have to press a button. Would you like to open it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and like, and then sometimes, very rarely, it'll blow up, but you'll still get money. And I guess that's kind of the equivalent later on in Fantasy Star Online when you you have those traps appear, remember? The little ones, and they go ding, and they like float yeah. in the air and then explode. Yep. So, that actually, you know, being a, a, a PSO veteran who never really played the early games, that was really cool to see where that came from. But the mere fact that every single enemy dropped a tre- treasure chest didn't make it exciting to actually yeah. discover a treasure chest. And the fact that they would ask me if I wanted to open it, I think the only time you wouldn't open it is if you were afraid of it blowing up and you had like one health point left. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't open it. Yeah, yeah. But still, it it I don't know. I think it would have been better to be like, it dropped an item. Here's your item. <laughs> you know? So let's talk about the story of the game. Um, according sure. to uh, Miki Morimoto, Mar- Mar- I'm always nice. screwing over uh, Miki Morimoto. Uh, this is a quote she said about the storyline of Fantasy Star. Fantasy Star came into being when, during the uh, Master System era, Sega decided that it also needed to create an RPG. So they started solicitating game design ideas from us. And Ch- Chico, uh, how do you say this woman's name? Aoki. Aoki had this story idea she had been mulling over for a while. We used that and it worked into be- to became an original story draft for Fantasy Star. Even at the early stage, almost all the dialogue was already written. Uh, that's how much Chioki loved Fantasy Star. And uh, she actually only worked, the writer of the, these games, only worked on Fantasy Star 1, Fantasy Star 2, and then Fantasy Star 3. She didn't work on Fantasy Star 4. Which is kind of, it's interesting because I, I think a lot of people agree that Fantasy Star 4 had the uh, most consistent story and dialogue. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was the easiest one like i think all the it was laid out it was more hand-holding it was easier uh it's the easiest one so it's weird that she didn't write that one maybe because back then even though she's a writer she still had say in what the game was going to be like like yeah like you know how yuji nakas he also had like he's the one that came up with the title for the game even though he's a programmer these were a small team so they all had their own little say on what happens so yeah, the game laid out a lot of the basic lore that we would uh, that would go on to the other games in the series, like the Algos uh, Solar System, that's uh, actually part of the uh, Andromeda Galaxy, and uh, yeah, it also has the main villain Dark Force, which is in every single Fantasy Star game. And there's a, a few more too. I actually wanted to note, um, Meseta was introduced as the currency. Yeah. The um, Naurua Cake Shop. I guess that appeared in later games. Yeah. This, yeah. this is a cool one, and I actually pulled this from the Fantasy Star Online guide. Uh, Laconia, the metal, appeared in PSO as an item called the Mace of Laconium, which is pretty cool. And the Chaos Bringer enemy appeared as the Horseman. So that's, that's pretty neat. And 
I, like again, as being a PSO fan, it was just really cool to see where these things came from. Well, I guess you kind of already answered my question. I was going to say, what do you think about them using old game lore in other games? Like, do you think when you played Fantasy Star Online that these like weird little Easter eggs they added from the old games, was it too much? Or were you like, that's kind of cheesy. Dark Forest, really? This is the, the bad guy's <laughs> name? Come on, guys. Or were you like, I mean, you didn't care at the time, but now that you go back, does it make a big difference? Um, I, I think going back, it does make a difference. Like I said, you know, Fantasy Star Online, everything was new to me. And so to go back now and play these games, I guess the equivalent would be if you were a kid growing up and you watched the Star Wars prequels and you're like, oh, cool. And then you watch the originals and you go, oh, Jabba the Hutt. That's the guy from, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like that. It's just, it's, it's really fun to go back and kind of rediscover those things and... At the time, of course, Fantasy Star was all new to players, and so if you're a big PSO fan and you've never played Fantasy Star, I definitely recommend it, just because it's, it is really fun to catch all those little bits of lore, like George mentioned, and um, yeah, I, I think it's important enough. I think the key, though, is, is that you don't need to play Fantasy Star 1 to really get Fantasy Star 2, 3, 4, online 2, and I think that's where some RPGs suffer, because they'll... They'll make a game and they'll be like, you know, oh, you didn't play the last one? You're really going to be lost on this one, you know? I, yeah, they, they took the Final Fantasy approach to it, and I think that's a, that was a good thing. And I like the fact that they also kept their lore, like you said. And I think Final Fantasy does it a lot, too, and fans really love that and they appreciate that. Like, even Final Fantasy XV that just came out, they have all these monsters from the old games, even though it's totally different art style. Some people even say it kind of clashes. But I, I think it's nice for the old fans that always buy every single game. So I'm glad that Sega did the same thing. Right, and I think it makes Dark Force or Dark Fowls even more kind of menacing because if when he shows up in Fantasy Star Online, it's a huge deal. And, you know, like I said, I had a friend who was a big Fantasy Star fan and he was freaking out because he's like, this is his first time seeing Dark Fowls in 3D. You know, oh, yeah. and that was really cool. So you want to talk about this other quote of the story? Oh, sure. Um, and so, uh, as mentioned, the game story was laid out and created before the game even started development. So let's talk a little bit about the basic story in Fantasy Star. And this is a quote. Uh, the game introduces the star system of Algo and its three planets, Palma, Motavia, and Dezorus. The system is in the grip of its evil ruler, King Lassic. A young girl, is it Alice? I would say Alice? yes, I would say, that's yeah. how I would say it. Alice sees her brother die whilst trying to investigate King Lassic. He, or Lassic, <laughs> Lassic eye surgery, um, and swears to avenge his death by ridding the system of the evil influence of Lassic. Uh, Alice is soon joined in her quest by Meow, or Mio, <laughs> a cat-like creature, Odin, a legendary fighter, and Noah, an esper. Together they explore the planets of Elgo, gathering mystical weapons and armor, battling with Lassic in his castle, and finally discovering the hidden darkness behind it all. And so, what are your overall thoughts on the game's story and characters? Uh, I think the characters were pretty, I guess they're fine. I think it's kind of weird that, like, you're a girl, right? And you're in this system, but you have a talking cat or whatever the cat is helping yeah. you to fight. It's like, well, it's, that's a little weird. But it's obvious. I don't know. It just seems kind of like it was really aimed at girls. 
like all mm-hmm. the cat comes out and it's like really younger RPG people and I, I'm, I'm pretty torn between the story I mean it's pretty basic there's not that much dialogue and the dialogue that is there is a little stiff but I think at the time it's a very important game I think the overall package sold it I think the, the story and the dialogue is just kind of a toss away really yeah, it's it's not that groundbreaking of a story. I mean, you know, the the king is, you know, in some evil grip. You find the evil, you destroy it. But I think that's kind of the charm of it, is that they took a very, uh, you know, tried and true story, t- uh, fairy tale kind of story, but gave it a sci-fi twist, not unlike Star Wars, really. And yeah. um, you know, Star Wars was not Star Wars. When was the, uh, 1983? Was Return of the Jedi, and so people were kind of starved for Star Wars at this point and so I think Fantasy Star actually did really well in that regard just because you know there were probably a lot of Star Wars fans who were like you gotta check this game out. I remember a while back that uh, George Lucas and Lucas Arts or whatever was like they were kind of suing people they were using lightsabers in games mm-hmm. and I was always surprised that they never sued Sega for uh, Fantasy Star especially <laughs> online with all the lightsabers. Those things sound exactly like lightsabers. Aren't they lightsabers? They are. They're like almost exactly like them. They even, I think they even had like what, like the double-bladed kind of ones, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they had the yeah, they had everything, and it was weird. But uh, this game doesn't really have laser weapons that much. I mean, not as profoundly as the other games do. It feels like this is trying to take a more medieval approach, like they said, king, the king. That's very medieval. I think they were still too, af- too. Af- it's like they were mixing sci-fi and these like. Uh, medieval kingdoms. I guess they were trying to still get the Dragon Quest crowd. Like, come on, guys, this still has some of that that sort of and sorcery you love. Yeah, yeah, and I guess you know, looking back, you could kind of consider Fantasy Star like just a look into the past of that that game's uh, universe. You know, sort of like how you know you they have like the Knights of the Old Republic games, where it it still looks like Star Wars, but it looks a lot more actually kind of like Fancy Star in that regard. And, you know, I kind of like the idea that, you know, this is the old universe and this old universe, this is how they lived, even though they were technically, like, more advanced than we are tech... Well, I mean, they're in a fantasy world somewhere else in a different star system, so they, you know... (laughs) But it's weird. It's like they're in the future, but they're not in the future. It's kind of like Star Wars, Mm -hmm. like you said. They have this whole samurai uh, swords. Why don't you shoot people? But uh, okay, so let's uh, let's talk about the over. Uh, let's talk about the gameplay of this game. The game, kind of, it was like three basic things you did, right? You you had the overworld map, basically, where you walked around, talked to people, and explored. You had a uh, talk, you know, you had shops and towns, and then you mm-hmm. had first-person turn-based combat, which is kind of in the all the other original games. You know, this whole you look at the bad guy in front of them and you hit them. And then the last one was the unique 3D dungeons. And right, I think yeah. that that's the nicest part of the game. And uh, uh, Hayashida, the co-creator, said this in a quote. He said, I wanted to create something that the Famicom wouldn't be able to do. So I wanted dungeons to be in 3D. And he later explained that the only reason they got them to work is because they had Yuji Naka doing the, the programming for the game. And as everybody knows now, he's, kind of, he's legendary at Sega. But this is yeah. before he was the Sonic the Hedgehog guy. So he was still kicking ass in the company before that. Uh, 
it's pretty nice. I, what do you think about Yuji Naka's involvement in this game? Did like is that a big deal? Because I remember Sonic Team took over in the online when the online games came out. I mean, I I definitely think it is. You look at I don't know how involved Yuji Naka was in the special stage design for Sonic Two and Three. But I mean, just hearing that he was the man who really brought the 3D dungeons to life makes me suspect that, you know, he, he definitely did have some sort of, uh, you know, uh, he was some sort of force in the direction of the special stages, basically making the Genesis do what the Master System did by, by recreating what looked like it was in 3D, but it really wasn't, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and also I think... It probably really helped Sonic Team at the si at the time of Fantasy Star Online to say, you know, this because it wasn't their franchise, and I remember that was a big deal at the time. People were like, "Wait, Sonic Team's making Fantasy Star Online," but I remember at the time people would point to Yuji Naka and say, "Well, he worked on the original," and it's like, "Oh, well, you got the DNA there, <laughs> so it's cool." Exactly, and I think they did a good job with Fantasy Star Online. It was a great reboot, and I know a lot yeah. of people have this whole like, "I want the old RPGs back in that old style." Yeah. I the, the team did say that they finished the whole story they wanted to tell with the four games they did. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people need to chill out about that and just enjoy what they got at this point. But oh, uh, I agree. What is your thoughts on the 3D dungeons? Do you think it adds that extra pizzazz to the games? <laughs> at the time, they definitely do. Um, playing it on an emulator, you're probably not going to be wowed by it. But if you have the game on the Master System, I can definitely see it being, you know, a little showcase item. Like, you know, for me, when I collect games, I don't go for full libraries. I typically like to go for a small collection of games that really showcase the, the power of the console. And so in that regard, I think Fantasy Star is definitely like that game to take out and show people with the 3D dungeons just exactly what it was capable of. And it's uh, it's pretty interesting. Do you think that the NES couldn't do the 3D dungeons? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, did anyone try? That's the thing. I think there's some uh, like uh, scalar games on there. They're like I think there's one or two that are really really impressive. But I feel like the Nint the NES had so many developers just putting out games on it that they kind of hit every nook and cranny that the what they could get from the console. You know, like. Every little bit of power they could get out of it, they used it. And I don't feel like that's what happened with the Master System. I feel like if Sega never made this game and showed yeah. off all these like effects that they could do, nobody would have yeah. done it. That's true. And I'm, I'm sure some uh, Nintendo fans listening to this right now are punching their, uh, their screen angry at us. But come on, let, let Sega have this one. Nintendo couldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, maybe it could have. Who knows? But in the end of the day, they didn't do it. So I guess the nod goes to the Master System. I, the Master System has its issues. I don't think hardware is one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it's almost everybody's agreed that the Master System has more power than the NES. But in the end of mm -hmm. the day, it's all about games. And uh, the, the, the NES really did corner the market when it came to third-party software. Right, yeah. It's kind of hard to believe that, you know, seeing where they're at right now, how the NES was basically the only console people developed for. Well, and speaking of um, the power of the console then, uh, talking about the music, I think that, that really moves us into um, just what the, the Master System was and wasn't capable of, really. I mean, when you compare the uh, Japanese hardware with the American hardware, do you want to talk a bit about the music? 
Yeah, the the music was composed by Bo. I, he has a longer name. <laughs> I didn't even look it up, but he goes by Bo usually. So he worked on Master System games usually, or Master System versions. Yeah. Like he worked on Fantasy Zone on Master System. He worked on Alex Kidd in Miracle World, Space Harrier, and Afterburner. He uh, he did a total of 19 tracks for Fantasy Star, and he did two versions: the FM version and the PSG version, which is basically just the hardware, the regular mm -hmm. hardware. In Japan, they released an add-on that gave it uh, more power, so they could run better music. We didn't get that in America, sadly, and. Well, let's listen to the difference. So this is, I, I, I put together the title screen, the title music, and the first dungeon music, uh, both versions. The first version is just hardware, and the second version is the FM version. So let's listen to that. your thoughts on the differences between these two versions and uh what do you prefer um i mean in regards to the the opening title screen it almost felt too soft and quiet for me on the um fm version but everything else just sounds great it's in fm you know i i i feel kind of bad for people who have only ever experienced the uh the soundtrack that we got which is a shame yeah yeah it is i think the fm version I'm, it's a little sad that we didn't get it, but then again, the, the Master System wasn't even put out here by Sega. Sega in Japan and the people running the US version, it was like a totally different company. It was like Tonka or something? Yeah, it was, was uh, Tonka. Yeah. And they weren't going to bring another add-on for a console that barely made money for them. How would they have but, done that? Do you know? Like, was the Master System even capable of having it? I don't think so. I think they made it directly for the Mark III, I yeah. guess, right? That's what it was called in Japan. Yeah. yeah, I like the FM version better, obviously. And I it is softer, I agree with you there, but I feel like the Master System had like really high-pitched music that kind of hurt your ears after a while. That's true, yeah. I, and I think the Genesis was a huge improvement on sound, especially just off the console. It was a huge improvement. And I know a lot of people give the Sega Genesis shit for the sound, but I think it has great sound. Oh, it I has think. beautiful sound. I think some games came out, they were just shitty at using the power. Yeah. You know what, I was just going to say, it is interesting though, because um, my friend Steve, aka APOC, who has appeared on a, a Sega News Bits with us for Tokyo Game Show, in fact, uh, he has the um, he has the Japanese console, and so he, he also has a converter that allows him to play Master System games on it, and so he, he, he tried it out, and if I'm getting this right, I think he took a outrun cart from America, put it on the Japanese console, and he was able to get the FM sound. And so it makes me wonder if the files or the the ability is still on the Fancy Star cartridge in America to play FM sound. Could be. I mean, we could. It's probably somewhere online where you get the ROM anyway, all working with the FM music. But if people haven't heard the FM music, I suggest you go on YouTube. Or listen to the background music because I'm going to use it. 
but before we get into the leg- the legacy of Fantasy Star, you want to talk about the newsletter? Oh yeah, sure. And so um, let's see what we got here. So you're talking about the Sega Team newsletter from Fall 1988? Yes, from last week. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I just thought it was interesting. It um, you know this is a incredibly rare. This predates. Um, Sega Vision. Sega Visions, yeah. And T- tell them, tell them, tell them what the purpose of the newsletter was. And well, I mean, it was basically a precursor to the Sega Vision magazine, and it was sent to Mega, uh, Mega, uh, Master System owners. Right. Yeah. And so, if you bought a Master System, I, I believe what it was is you could send away for this, and then they would send it to you. It was, I believe, free. And yeah. so. Um, there were only, I think, five or six. They're incredibly hard to find. I, I hesitate to say rare. There's people on eBay selling these for like $300, $400. They're not worth that much. They're scanned and they're online. So don't spend that much. But I, I thankfully, I found the uh, issues two, three, and four, or three, four, and five. I forgot which. And issue four covers Fantasy Star. And it's just interesting to look back and see just how they kind of covered the game, talked about it here. There's actually a mail away for the Sega Games Preview 2 VHS tape. For seven bucks, you can send in and they'll send you a tape that just plays sample levels of, of all these games, including Fantasy Star. Um, and then another interesting thing is, you know, they have a, a coupon in the back. And so if you buy any two Sega games, you get $5 off Fantasy Star, which is a big deal because um, Fantasy Star was really expensive. It was... What what did you say between 60 65 and 80 dollars, right? It was like it was like 80 dollars. They charged a lot for RPGs back in the days. I know people now say, oh, "I don't want to pay 60 bucks for a game." Uh, yeah, they used to charge you more back then. So I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Now you can get uh, Fantasy Star uh, Final Fantasy 15 for the same price you get any other game. It's interesting though how they covered it because you know, we've been talking a lot about the sci-fi aspect of it. They really play that down though in the um, the Sega Team newsletter. Uh, I'll just read a little bit here. They say, with the power of swords and sorcery at your command, unlock the secrets of Fancy Star. Turning a corner in the dark and dank dungeon of Medusa's tower, you suddenly see standing before you three very large werebats. They look mean and ugly. Should you unsheath your sword and attack them? Or cast a fireball spell, perhaps. Or maybe you should risk asking for directions. They might turn out to be friendly. Then again, they're looking at your neck in a rather bloodthirsty way. I mean, there's nothing, nothing uh, sci-fi about that. No mention of the, you know, flying to other planets. Uh, they do cut touch on that later in the article, but it's just, they they really just treat it like sword and sorcery RPG and. Um, are you I mean, surprised though, considering that like there was no sci-fi games really in this era? There were JRPGs, and they knew that Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy were sort of successful before they brought this game over. They're trying to market it to that people, those people like, oh, you know that Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest game you, or in America, Dragon Warrior game you played? Yeah, this is sort of like that, and that, I guess that's the way they wanted to appeal to the. Yeah, the American audience. I guess I'm not that surprised. Just reading through it, they just they kind of talk about it, you know, as though it's your normal fantasy fantasy RPG. And then it, out of nowhere, they say you'll travel by spaceship, and it's like, oh, okay, that's Wait, really cool. What? Why didn't you put that way to bury the lead? You know, <laughs> exactly. Um, I think now there's like a lot of 
potential for more sci-fi uh, driven JRPGs. I think we see it all the time now, but I, this is very unique, obviously, in this time period. Yeah, it, and of course the, the big selling point, too, that they were pushing was the 4 mega power at its disposal. Um, they say the graphics... The whole thing? The whole 4? Four, four, whole, the whole thing? <laughs> yeah. They say the graphics are so good and an environment so rich with detail that it rivals most games played on personal computers. <laughs> they also talk Ooh. about the lithium battery that's included, which allows you to save up to five games. Did it actually have a save system? I forget. It did. Yeah, it did, which is okay. really cool. And I, I think a few other Master System games had save systems too, but it, it was nice that they included it because I cannot imagine uh, playing through this game without and just entering passwords is such a headache. But um, yeah, and so that that's how they covered it. I just thought that was interesting to dig that up. I do agree with them though. The graphics in this game were was were and are superior superior to the first Final Fantasy and the Dragon Quest games. So I had another magazine has that. thing. If you wanted me to just mention it, go for it. Um, in the third issue of the official Dreamcast magazine, they had a, a fan letters section, and the letter of the month is actually from a person, and they were they weren't writing about Dreamcast at all. They were just like pouring their heart out about um, how they received Fancy Star on Christmas Day in 1988. So I thought I'd just read that letter. I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, they said, I remember it so well. It was a cold Christmas day back in 1988. I had just finished going through my stocking stuffers and was ready to unwrap my other gifts. As I opened what I considered to be my only important gift that morning, my only hope was that it was what I asked for. I ripped apart the wrapping to find exactly what I had asked for, and, although I didn't realize it at the time, what would turn out to be the greatest game that I would ever play. Fantasy Star. I was so excited that I ran over to my Master System and didn't get up for two days. It took me that long to find the dungeon key in the original maze. Ha ha. I'm sure that the ecstatic smile that wrapped around my face while playing the game made my mom feel okay with spending $70 on a Sega game. Over the next few weeks, I spent more time playing that game and than doing anything else. Nothing else at the time even came close. Four characters, you gotta love Meow, three worlds, a horde of monsters, numerous weapons and armor, great dungeons, an unbelievable final fight, Dark Fowls, you bastard, and an incredible story to tie it all together. I still have the game in my possession today and it is the only game that I will never get rid of. I can only hope that Sega will make a fantasy star for the Dreamcast. But as for now, the system and games look incredible, and I will keep waiting for Project Ares. Keep up the excellent work and let's go Sega. And that was GameFan128 at AOL.com. I think I'm going to email them. But email. <laughs> Yeah, but it was just interesting. And they replied too. They, they said, some of us here remember that day as well. Give or take a few details, like being at your house on Christmas Day and all. And your letter really struck a chord with Francesca, who practically begged for Fantasy Star 4 for Christmas several years later as well. For the memories you win letter of the month, expect a box of cool loot from Sega in the mail. And of course, Francesca is Francesca Reyes, who we've had on our Swing and Report Show podcast for the Dreamcast anniversary special. And I believe George and I have said before that she's a big inspiration to both of us just in her writing and um, her career. So yeah <laughs> and uh so let's talk about the i guess the legacy or where you could play this game nowadays yeah um 
There was a remake that we didn't get in the West, but there's a fan translation somewhere in the internet. Um, it's called Fantasy Star Generation 1 on the PlayStation 2. And, you know, it, it was part of the Sega Ages remasters that they had M2 do mm -hmm. back in, in the mid-2000s. And this one, you know, it got better dialogue. It's smoother. They remade the graphics. They're more... Uh, not pixelated. They're more like drawing, hand drawing. Hmm. I I appre I like the pixel look. I don't know about everybody else. Could but you I see multiple enemies? I'm not sure. I think so. Yeah. That would be cool because that's one thing we didn't mention was that if you had multiple enemies, it would just show one enemy and then like a multiple health bars. Yeah, yeah, because of the power of the master system yeah. and its drawbacks. Yes. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, rehauled re graphics, like I said. Um, there was also a Game Boy Advance port and a Sega Saturn port, or at least just the... F it's just the original game. Mm -hmm. but you, so you get it on Game Boy Advance, you get it on the Saturn. Um, I think that's it. Uh, is there anything else? I think that it was in one of the other collections, right? The Like I mentioned, the Sonic's uh, Ultimate Genesis collection, it was on that as a uh, bonus game. It's crazy that Sega, that they even put it on the Sonic ultimate collections and they need to do more of those collections i think i think they did another one on the ps3 where it was genesis games yeah and it did really well i think i think the ps4 needs another one on yeah, this the sega 3d classics collection really felt like them doing the sega ages collection right because we talk about sega ages collection i feel like anytime we do a classic game on this show we're going to be talking about the sega ages collection and how it didn't release in the west and there were so many of those, and so much work was put into it. And a lot of those games could have been easily localized, and all they really did was, I think, one compilation disc in the U.S. Yeah. And it wasn't even the best is, games. No. And this is the <laughs> time when Sega really wanted, or at least Sega West, really wanted to move away from the Japanese side of Sega and wanted to do more licensed games. <sighs> Ridiculous. I, I agree with you that's there. That's the dumbest... I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's the dumbest decision they've made in the modern era, is the fact that... They they are making, I mean, between good and great remakes of classic Sega games. And over here in the West, they were giving us uh, Marvel games. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Come I on. agree with you 100%. Uh, especially considering how cheap they would have been to bring over. Yeah. And so that's why when I when I look at Sega now, when, when they're releasing stuff like Yakuza 6 and, um, and all these uh, Atlas games are coming West, I really do feel that, you know, if, if another Fantasy Star is made that isn't like P PSO2, it would come to the West. I really do believe it. I hope so. I hope so. Because we don't know what the future lies. Like I told you, yeah. there's this thing that I've noticed with Sega. If they skip a couple of games, they just won't bring it over anymore. I think this happened with Shining Force. They skipped, the, they, I think the last one was in 2007. Yeah. They stopped it. They haven't brought any of them over. There was one on the PlayStation 3 a couple years ago. Didn't come over. I mean, I could see why. The Shining brand basically died off, and right. it's not an SRPG. But I don't know. Fantasy Star Online 2, it's too late, I think, for that game. There's yeah. so much DLC, so many episodes released in, in Japan that we're going to be left behind if they do bring it. But, I mean, if you really are itching to play a Sega RPG that's similar to Fantasy Star, I definitely suggest picking up 7th Dragon 3 Code VFD on yeah, the 3DS. Yeah, and it has some of the people that worked on Fantasy Star and that later went on to work on Skies of Arcadia. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and also play Skies of Arcadia if you have a chance. Why not? <laughs> play any game, really. Play every, Just play any game that has Sega on it, all right? Yeah. Um, let me get into the media, because we do this uh, every episode. We talk about the media released 
during that year. Oh, yeah. Let's start with the movies. These are the top movies for 1987. You might have remembered some of these, Barry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Predator, The Prince's Bride, Lethal Weapon, The Untouchables, Fatal Attraction, Full Metal Jacket, and The Lost Boys. Any of those uh, bring a nice... Make your make your chest hurt. <laughs> what out of out of happiness or fear? Um, uh, both. I'd say Lethal Weapon and The Princess Bride are two that stand out to me. I it's unfortunate though because I feel like The Princess Bride was like really cool and like I really liked it, and then all of a sudden it just blew up and everyone liked it. And then I'm like, oh, I don't really like it anymore because everyone's going, oh, as you wish, <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, you're ruining it for yeah. me. So uh, I think I, yeah. <laughs> I, I was gonna say two of my favorite movies here, which is probably The Lost Boys and uh, Full Metal Jacket. Those, Those are, pretty are great cool movies. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's move on because we have a, this thing's running out, running a little long. So let's let's go into the games that were yeah. released in 1987. Um, Double Dragon, Street Fighter debuted, Punch Out, Contra, Maniac Mansion, which the creator actually came to Sega to make Cave Story a couple like six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Castlevania 2, Final Fantasy, and Rastan. Rastan. Um, so any of these games that you played uh, growing up, Barry? Um, I, I really, I can't say that I grew up playing any of those just because I, I wasn't a big video game player in 87. I was, when it was I, like three or four years old. But um, looking back, Double Dragon, I do have that on the NES. Uh, I love that game. So I would say... Out of all of those mentioned, that one stands out to me. Uh, I didn't play it when it came out, but Punch-Out was a big game, I think. It's really well made. It's actually, I think, one of the best 8-bit games made in that era. Because 8-bit was a little weird, you know? They weren't all there in the two... I think the 16-bit era really cemented, you know, the feel of uh, 2D. And I think the Saturn perfected it. Mm -hmm. Like, it did it way better, but Punch-Out is a good game. It has, it's really simple, and I'm surprised nobody came up with that kind of formula before. Mm -hmm. But it was it's pretty really creative game. 1987 too is a, a big year just for the debuts of a lot of series here. I mean, I'm not seeing that many sequels. Fancy Star and Final Fantasy and Contra and Punch Out, Street Fighter, Double Dragon all had their first games. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it was a big year. I think ah, it was leading up to the golden age of the 8-bit era where. But you notice the NES got a lot of games. <laughs> it's kind of hard to compete with that. Oh, yeah. Talking about Nintendo of America, Nint uh, there's also the lawsuit that they had. Uh, Nintendo of America versus Blockbuster Entertainment. Remember Blockbuster? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Nintendo sued Blockbuster for photocopying complete NES manuals for its rental games. <laughs> Nintendo won the suit, and Blockbuster had to include the original manuals. God, that sounds so much like Nintendo, even today. What's the point of going to court for that? It's just like, it's hurting my head. It's like, oh, what? these manuals are copied. Let's go to court so they have to buy manuals from us. What did they want? I don't really understand because every t like, I guess when, when a Blockbuster bought a game, they would get the game and the manual. But if you photocopied it, then you could keep the manual. And if the photocopy gets ruined, you still have the original. Like, what does Nintendo... I don't even know. Like, I think they've always been a little strange, the Amer their American branch. But, like, okay, so they copied the manual, I'm assuming. So when kids take it home and they play it and they fuck up the manual, it's just a photocopy and they still have the original. 
Right. And then whenever they need another one, they just photocopy it and it saves them money. I'm assuming Nintendo was, had a service where they reprinted the manuals and then they had to oh, ship them out. Yeah, they were probably like, no, 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 you buy them from us and then if they get messed up, you buy them again. That sounds so like Nintendo. Yep, and uh, well, that's the end of this episode of Fantasy Star. <laughs> I mean, Sega Talk. Bitching about Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, we're always going to end it, especially in a Master System episode. Come on. Yeah. If you're a Master System fan, you know you hate Nintendo. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> anyway, um, let us know what you thought about Fantasy Star in the comments below. And uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and our, our RSS feed. We're also on YouTube, so you can subscribe yeah. to us there, and you'll get every episode and other episodes like our Sega News Bits. And, uh, yeah, have I'm, a good time. I'm waving to our YouTube listeners. They're they're the newest listeners, so hello. Uh, you <laughs> should read some of these tweets people sent us. Yeah, so we, uh, as we do with past episodes, we reach out to the Twitterverse, and we ask people to share their thoughts, memories, whatever, about uh, the game in question. So here's what our followers had to say about Fantasy Star. Um, Chris Tang of the uh, Strike Harbinger team said that when he became the Hawaii State Nintendo Champion, he said that Fantasy Star was his favorite favorite game in an interview, snubbing Nintendo and promoting Sega. And he, <laughs> he said... Yeah, he it, he sent an article to us, and he just he keeps talking about Sega in this article, even though it, it says Masters of the Small Screen and make Nintendo a way of life. Well, clearly he's making Sega a way of life. So good on him for that. Um, we also had Raymond Two YT. The the A is a four. Uh, he said it was good, but not Final Fantasy good. I'm gonna ignore Disagree. that. Yeah. <laughs> Who did you pick? So this is the. <laughs> Uh, HCG show the happy console gamer <laughs> he said he hated it even though it's not true because he has a video like saying he loves it but yeah and he's the happy console gamer so he can't hate anything uh, Segabit's writer Flair Habanero said compared to RPG pioneers Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy on the NES Fantasy Star felt more advanced the 3D effect with the dungeons in particular are still impressive we had Rory Dropkick they said it was a great experience and I purchased it again along with the surprise Mark III at a local game store about five months ago and he sent a picture. That's really cool. Um, this is my favorite one. Santa Azul CTZN said I got stuck. <laughs> I can relate. I got stuck too. Um, Black Mage ID or LD said I was utterly confused by what I was supposed to do with the first one I played. <laughs> um, I Gar's rant said I haven't played it yet. I hope to find a classic and enjoyable game in it. Own it several collections for PSP and Xbox 360. So I think they want the original. They have the compilation versions though. Christoph uh, Ferngelly said one of one of, if not the most advanced RPG of the 8-bit generation. Absolutely loved it. Round of applause for our first co positive comment. Um, Hokuto Andy said, Lady Protagonist Avenges Brother Leads Revolution, written by Reiko, Reiko Kodama. If PS1 came out today, it would be lauded as progressive. We agree. Scott Viper said, loved it just gave you barely any direction when trying to progress you learned by pure exploration 
3D-ish dungeons were cool too. Shiloh Elliot or Shiloh Elliot said, "It's my favorite game of the first games of the three main classic JRPG series, and Alice is really cool." Ben Banasek said, "Phenomenal with an F, phenomenal. Anything with an owl bear that looks like an iBat has to be great." I completely That's forgot true. about the owl bear. It's not an owl or a bear. Um, Katoro Vitalo said, I got addicted to it back when I played it on the Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection. One of my favorite 8-bit RPGs for sure. And our final tweet comes from JumboMax792, who said, Oh ho ho, the hours I spent playing this game. I loved it. Sadly, I never finished it. And I haven't played it since I was like 12. Well, you know what, JumboMax? Why don't you start playing it again? Because it's an awesome game. Thanks for listening. And if you guys want to tweet us, you guys can tweet us at SegaBits on Twitter, and you can uh, send us hate mail or hate tweets. We love it. <laughs>